prepared. Good evening, guys. How are we doing? Good. Good. In case you haven't met, my name is Jacob. I'm on staff here with Salt Company as a resident. Hi, Zach Fair. He wanted that. You can see in his eyes how badly he wanted me to acknowledge his hi. Hello, Zach Fair. It's him. All right, so it feels, I don't know if anybody else has felt this, but time is like flying by right now. And so Super Bowl Sunday was like just this past Sunday, but it feels like it was like a month ago. Who cheered for the 49ers? How many of you just cheered for Brock Purdy? Yeah! Yeah. (laughs) Okay, who cheered for the Chiefs? Who cheered for the Chiefs after the game was over? Woo! (laughs) Who cheered for... uh, What's her name? Oh my gosh. Ta- Taylor, the Swifty. Who, where are the Swifties at? Got a couple? Got a couple? Wow. All right, all right. Everybody calm down a little bit. That's, that's, it's not that. It's just sports, all right? I know that hurts some of you. No. All right. Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you guys. As always, I love opening up the Word of God, diving in with you guys. Um, this week, actually doing something, something fun. We're starting up a new series, as Nicole mentioned. Uh, and it is called Fulfilled, new series called Fulfilled. And, this, and in this series, we're going to talk about the ways that Jesus has fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, practices, and, w- and what they mean for us today. Uh, so who in here has read something in the New Testament before? Not a trick question. If you read anything in the New Testament, how many of you have been reading something in the Old Testament? You look down, you read it, and you just have to stop. What? Like, you know, like, it, there's some things just a little bit tricky. It's like, what does this mean? What is this for? What does this mean today? If this was true then, is it true now? There's a little bit of, of confusion with some of those things. And so we're going to take uh, three of these different practices um, and kind of expand on them, how Jesus fulfilled them, how we interact with them today. So we're going to talk over the law this week. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, next week, we'll dive into the sacrificial system, priesthood. Good luck, Caleb. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath. So, no need to wait any longer. You guys ready? Jake moment. Oh, let's get after it. Oh, I love it. I love it when he says that. It just makes me want to run through a brick wall. You know, it's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. It just makes me want to, you know. All right. So, we're talking about the law tonight. The law. Now, uh, what do I mean when I say law? I, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, speed limit legal drinking age, those are important, Romans 13, we're in submission, you know, like, they're, they're important, uh, but I'm talking about something a little bit more broad, a little bit all-encompassing, bigger picture. Uh, the law we're talking about tonight is the moral code that God instilled to his people. The moral code, also known as the, the Mosaic law, uh, Mosaic meaning that it's from Moses. Moses is the one who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He's, uh, with God's help, it wasn't just Moses. Yeah, he led God's people out of slavery. He, uh, like, God parted the water through Moses and his staff. He pleaded with God as first people. Y'all familiar with Moses? No Moses? All right. So Moses is the writer uh, of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, Now, there are stories of God's people, their journey, but there's also uh, recorded the Mosaic law, the moral code of God that God gave to Moses to pass on to the Israelites, God's people. So that's the, that's the law that we're talking about. Now, how many commands do you think are in the first five books of the Bible? If you know, just give a second. I want to hear some guesses. How many, how many commands or commandments do you think are in the first five books of the Bible? 18. 18? 10? How many? 200? Let's get one more guess. A little higher. 250. Yeah. Uh, try 613. 
The Mosaic Law, 613 commandments or these rules uh, to follow for the Israelites. It starts with the Ten Commandments, and then it kind of builds from there. Uh, you can kind of think about it like the U.S. Constitution. You know, you start with ten heavy hitters that you try to remember, and then you have like a long list of others you might not be as familiar with. Now, am I saying the Bill of Rights is as important as the Ten Commandments? Yes. No, 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 no. That's, yeah, no, it's not. The, the commands of God, infinitely more important. Bad joke, sorry. Uh, so this is the law we're talking about, moral code of God. Now, uh, I believe that there is uh, largely a misunderstanding of the law in this room. You, you see, the law is actually the first thing that we start to learn when you're young, if you're growing up in the church, and sometimes even if you didn't grow up in the church. And when you're young, you don't really know what questions to ask. You just kind of accept things. Like, I mean, when I was little, I'm, I mean, I'm still picking my nose, and, but I know how to sing the Ten Commandment boogie. Anybody know that song? Please say, yes! Thank goodness. I knew there'd be some VBS kids in here tonight. Come on. So from a young age, maybe even before we know the name of Jesus, we know the Ten Commandments. I know some people are doing the actions. That is awesome. Uh, so now, now here, here's my, my fear with this. Because we are people who kind of cling to structure in general, we like things to be structured, we can cling to what first makes sense and not necessarily what's always the most true. And so I have a fear of our knowledge of the law. And what I mean is that some of us have a, a false sense of security to be found in the law. You think that if you stick to the book, if you work hard, you can, you can be a good Christian, that what God wants most out of you is perfection or at least trying to be. And you're kind of, you're banking on your, your effort or your holiness to bring you life, joy, right standing in relationship with God. And you must be exhausted. There's also some of you that have maybe an ignorance of the law. Like, you might hear good news of Jesus, and, and you start to convince yourself that the law is the evil thing, or that, you know, it serves no purpose today. It's old news. I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. You know, guys, God has always had an incredible purpose for the law, and these misunderstandings are dangerous. And that's the reason that Paul wrote a letter to the Galatians in the New Testament. He had preached the, the gospel, the one true gospel to the Galatians. He left when things were starting to go pretty well. But then pretty soon after, there was this new teaching that came and started taking root in the community. And it was dangerous for them. So Paul started to write to them to remind them of the one true gospel and how they are to interact with the law. So that is the question that Paul is helping us answer tonight. How do we interact with the law today? Note takers, that is the ultimate question that we are answering tonight. How do we interact with the law today. And guys, here, here's the win. I, I want you to have a deeper understanding of what the law is and what the law is not in a way that stirs your affections for Jesus, and makes the gospel that much sweeter, and, and gently leads you into obedience to the King. Now, we're, we're going to get a little into the weeds with this, um, and I can promise you that not all of your questions regarding the law are going to get answered tonight, um, but I think we can make a lot of progress toward understand, our understanding of God and His plan um, so you might leave with more questions you walked in with, so I apologize. I'm not going to get to all of them, but I, I promise you that uh, there is a, an overarching picture that uh, if we stay focused on those things, we'll be all right. So you ready? We're going to turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be starting off in verses 23 through 29. I'll just read uh, the whole section, and we'll go back and kind of start working our way through it. So we're in Galatians 3, starting in verse 23. I think the words will also be up on the screen. 
And the word of God says this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian and until the coming faith would be revealed. Oh, sorry. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So to start, I kind of want to answer a couple questions that immediately just kind of start to jump out from the text. Um, I mean, even in just like the first couple of verses, um, you know, we see before faith came, held captive, imprisoned, we get this guardian thing. I mean, what does this all actually mean? I, I don't want us to just gloss over that or just assume we know what that means. So we're going to slow down just a second, understand this text a little bit more. So starting in verse 23, uh, this phrase, before faith came, what does that mean? Does this mean that faith is a new thing? What about Abraham? Like, he, wasn't he the man of faith? Uh, and I'll say the, the faith that Paul is talking about here is specifically new covenantal faith in Jesus Christ directly. Uh, so this isn't all faith. He is addressing new covenantal faith in Jesus. He makes this tie throughout the text, you know, the coming faith, the faith that has come in the form of Jesus. Um, so he's not addressing all faith, specifically direct faith in Jesus Christ that wasn't available uh, until he had actually come to the earth. So that is, is that. Uh, we're going to clarify um, some of that. So, uh, the, the next thing he says uh, is that we were held, before Jesus came, we were held captive under the law. And so as we start to get this captive language, this takes, this takes us into the thick uh, of the, the misconceptions surrounding the law. And this is where it can get really wrongly interpreted or applied. Uh, and so there's three uh, misconceptions that we're going to look at and kind of clarify, kind of getting at what, what is the law? What is its purpose? What is it not? And so the first is prompted by verse 23, that we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the, the, the first misconception regarding the law that we will address is that the law used to be meant to save. It, this belief that, you know, it, it was the format of salvation, that's what it was, it is no longer. Uh, but the truth is that the, the law was never meant to save. We can default thinking that this was the old way, you know, Old Testament prophets, people were made right by living according to the law, sacrificing X, Y, Z, but Paul's using prisoner language, held captive in prison. I, I want you to see this. Turn with me uh, back, to, back a page, Galatians 2.21. Galatians 2.21, it says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's see it again, Galatians 3.21 and 22. This is the next one. Now before faith came, we were... Uh, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, the law of God, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see, the, the law can't provide righteousness. Some of you aren't convinced. We got one more. Romans 3. I'll read it. Romans 3, 19 uh, and 20. I'll have to flip back. Give me one second. Romans 3, 19 and 20. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, 
so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be, held, will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. There is no life, no righteousness to be found in doing works of the law alone. No human being, not just to come, not just currently, but there has never been somebody who just did enough things to, or stayed obedient to the law enough in order to be justified or declared righteous. Are, are you guys tracking with me on that? You guys see that? Because, because no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned. We are he- all held accountable to God, and we deserve to be punished for our sins. And that has always been the case. That is why Paul uses this language of being held captive in prison. So this leads us to start thinking about salvation before Jesus, uh, brings up some more questions, um, and and it kind of ties into the second misconception that God expected us to abide by the law to start. We default thinking, oh, well, God gave us this, and then we failed, but like he expected us to uphold in the beginning. But really, uh, God was not surprised by the fact that we sinned against him. God did not expect us to abide by the law in the beginning In the first few books of the Bible, God lays out the law through the writing and speaking of Moses, that it was it's not a law we could actually live up to. We can default to thinking the law could have given life if it was perfectly lived out, but that was never the intent for the law. God had a purpose for the law, which we're going to unpack in a second, but he knew from the start we wouldn't be perfect in it. Nothing surprises God. It's important to remember that. It's important to remember that God is an all-knowing God and simultaneously a good God, and here's what I mean. God knew before the law was ever instated that we would fail at it. But he was, was and is still a good God who had a covenant for salvation before the law was ever recorded. In fact, the covenant with Abraham was made over 400 years before the law was recorded. God was good in that he made a covenant with Abraham to be with his offspring. He had a plan for them to be right and justified apart from the law because he knew that they would disobey. Okay, be honest, how many did I just lose there? Anybody? No, okay, keep moving. Uh, this, this can get a little bit hairy. So here, here's what you need to know from that. God's journey with humanity, uh, this is imperfect. Have some grace. I was trying to come up with something. It's a little bit hard. Uh, his journey with humanity is kind of like parents driving with their kids in like bumper cars, you know. You think about a kid driving a bumper car, swerving all over, maybe get stuck in a corner. It's a little messy. But, but the parents know, oh, yeah, the kid's going to crash. They're going to get confused. Uh, and they aren't, they aren't surprised by their four-year-old getting stuck in a corner or forgetting to press the gas pedal, pedal and crying. You know? they're, they're not surprised by it. The, the parents know that this is inevitable, but they, they take the wheel. They have a plan. They guide them how they need to to ride a, safely way, a safe way uh, to continue you know, crashing into people for entertainment. Uh, similarly, not perfectly, but similarly, God isn't surprised that his creation rebelled and sinned against him. He isn't surprised they weren't able to abide perfectly by the law. And because he knew this, he had a different means of justification from the beginning. And it always pointed towards what Paul is writing here, the coming faith, the new covenant in Jesus. Where we started to drift away, rebel, fail, God was faithful, remained with his people, and in due time brought the coming Messiah, Jesus. So the law was never meant to bring life or justification and God, from the beginning, had a different plan to restore his creation, his people, knowing that we would rebel. So then the question comes, what, well then what was the law for? What was or is the purpose of the law? And this ties in the third misconception about the law, that the law 
is a bad thing. The law is bad or, or unhelpful. You know, it's like if the law allowed sin to make us prisoners and God knew that we would fail, why was it instituted in the first place? What good can come from it? I'm glad you asked. Uh, let's keep reading. Let's go back in our, in our core text here, picking up in verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, maybe like me, the first time through this, it makes very, very little sense. Not going to lie. First time I read this, I was like, ah, nope. You know, like, like what does it mean that the law is a guardian? The law is how everyone is held accountable to God, how death gets a foothold. The law cannot bring life. It ties that misconception that the law is a bad thing. And we start saying that the law itself is the problem. We think that because the law sets an unattainable standard, it is a bad thing. But remember this, God gave it to us. Every good and perfect gift is from God and the law is from God. You see, the law is not the problem. Our sin is. Sin is the problem and it always has been. Sin separates us from God, but he loved us enough to give us a guardian in the form of the law. So before Jesus came, we were separated from God because of sin, but until the law was put into place, people had no awareness that they were sinning and separating themselves from God. The law is not a bad thing at all, but sin has corrupted it, and it has taken us captive. The law in and of itself is a good thing, and it is for three reasons. One, the, guard, the law guarded us from living in rampant sin and rebellion, it makes self-righteousness or lack of dependence on God impossible. And in revealing our sin, it points to our need for a Savior. It shows how perfect and holy God is. And God intentionally designed it so every human being would fail in some regard in order that every person would see how they fall short and are in need of God to intervene in a divine way. Now, I want everybody to pause, take a deep breath with me. That's nice. So we, we just covered a lot of ground. It's a little hard to get a law that extends for most of our Bibles and try to condense it down shortly. So hopefully that's a, a little bit helpful. Uh, I'm going to try to simplify it here real quick for any of you who are taking notes. So if you're confused, if you missed something, if you fell asleep and you just woke up again, uh, here is the, the simple way to say what I just explained. I'm, I'm so glad, by the way, that Jordan set this up last week. I hope that you guys take what he said truly when he said that even the most boring sermon is the word of God, and so you, it's, it's worth listening to. So true. Thank you, Jordan. But so uh, here, here is the, the simpler way to say it. Our sin separates us from God, and in his love for us, he gave us the law not to bring justification by works, but to point us toward Jesus, the, our need for a Messiah. Simplified one step further, the law is how God made us aware of our need for Jesus. The law is how God made us aware of our need for Jesus. This is a huge blessing. This is why the language here is that of a guardian. Sin is a disease, the greatest, well, greatest is the wrong word, the, the, the worst, the biggest, the most all-encompassing plague that will ever exist, and it affects every single person on this earth. And the, and the biggest, most all-encompassing plague requires a solution, and we have one but we need to know that we need it. You probably heard this uh, illustration used before, but I find it just so, so helpful. Uh, so uh, imagine that you have a cancer that you don't know about. You know, you, you need two things for that cancer. One is a treatment plan. 
You know, if the cancer goes undetected and untreated, it will kill you. But you also need a doctor to tell you that you have cancer, point you towards a treatment plan. Sin is the cancer. Jesus is the solution. And for us, the law has been the doctor. Just like we need a doctor to point us to the cancer treatment, we need the law to point us toward Jesus. So this is, a, this is where we were. This whole, this whole beginning. This is where we were. We were stuck before Jesus, enslaved to sin, captive under the law, under the guardianship of the law until Jesus, the promised Messiah, would come. So from the time of Moses receiving the law until Jesus came, those who had access to the law, the Jews, the, 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 the people of God, they, they performed works in faith. This was called the, the age of works, where they weren't justified by those works, but rather we see in Romans 1, Galatians 3, originally Habakkuk 2, uh, the verse 4, I believe, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. So because Jesus was yet to come, works were necessary to express the faith that had already saved them in anticipation for what was to come. Working and waiting in faith for Jesus to come. And guys, I have good news. In case you didn't know, he already has. So we're going to pick back. <laughs> we're gonna, thanks, Riley. We're going to pick back up in, a, in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Guys, I really want you to see how beautiful this is. This is where your love, the gospel, should just explode. The law gave a foothold it allowed for our sin to condemn us all to hell. And for a time, the only people that even had a hope of being justified were those who had access to the law. And the people who did have access to the law were stuck with a list of the have-tos as they waited for Jesus to come. And so many of them, when Jesus did come, and those people, they even turned away from him. They wanted him dead because they were so used to what they were doing. But Christ came. He freed us from the chains of the law. He removed the guardianship of it. He revealed himself to us, made us sons of God, and now by the Spirit allowed us to pursue holiness. You could say it like this. Jesus fulfilled the law to make the have-tos get-tos. Jesus fulfilled the law to make have-tos get-tos. Look with me at chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is incredible news for the Galatians that Paul is writing to, and, and it fights the misconceptions that we face today. For the Galatians, they had heard the gospel and believed, but now people are saying they have to do something to add to their salvation. There's all this confusion. And Paul speaks the heart of the gospel that Jesus came to free a broken and enslaved people. And our justification, our right standing before God is through faith in him alone. God gave us mercy in Jesus by forgiving our sins against him. But God didn't just stop at giving us mercy. 
God could have just forgiven sins, which already is a miracle, but he didn't stop there. Through Jesus, God allowed us to be free from the chains of the law. We no longer have to prove anything. Our justification is completed at the cross. He welcomes us into his family. He calls us sons and daughters. He puts his spirit inside of us so that we never have to be separated from him as long as we live. And to top it all off, we look forward to an eternity spent in perfect unity with God. Not because of anything that we do or anything we add to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We have freedom, unity, sonship, and inheritance because the man on the middle cross took our place and called us his. Salt Company, as I studied this text, I couldn't help but literally be moved to tears. My wife made fun of me. This is, this is an incredible truth. And it fights against my drift. It tells me that I need to prove something to God. This text reminds me that I am perfected before God through Christ alone. Do the same, guys. Make this personal. Replace the we's in the passage with I. As you look back, I was held captive. I was imprisoned. I was under a guardian. Before we keep reading, do you guys still feel like this? I know there are people in here that are just really struggling to see freedom in Christ. You're holding on to lasting guilt for sin, maybe. Maybe you're trying to fight against sin, but you feel like you've already been defeated. You still feel like a prisoner to sin. Guys, your reminder tonight is that faith has come. Faith has come. Keep reading to see what's true of you now. But now that faith has come, I am free from captivity. I am released from the guardian. I am in Christ and he is in me. I am an adopted son of the king and an heir according to the promise of God. If you're still wrestling with the guilt or the shame attached to your sin, you're saying that the cross wasn't enough to take that away from you. Guys, we can refuse to attach our sin to who we are because of Jesus. Take a look with me at Romans 8. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God gifted us perfection, completeness, and redemption in Jesus. Guys, I, I want you guys to hear this tonight. If you tune everything else out that you've already heard of what, what is left of my time, please hear this. God loves you no less than his own son. God loves each and every one of you no less than his own son that died for you. Let this drive everything that you do. Understanding the love of God is how we are guided through this topic of the law. And here's your takeaway tonight from the question we asked in the beginning. We asked the question from the start, how do we interact with the law today? We pursue holiness 
out of love for God. We pursue holiness out of love for God. The law made us aware of our need for Jesus. Jesus came to make the have-tos, the get-tos, and because of that, we pursue holiness out of a love for God. At the beginning, I talked about a couple of these ditches that we tend to fall into, and this truth of the love of the Lord speaks to both of you. If you're someone who has a tendency to think, man, my actions don't matter. God will forgive me. Or, or if you're frequently justifying the things you're doing or asking the question, you know, oh, is this, is this really a sin? You know, like, can I do this? Like, it's not, like, really wrong, you know. You're asking the wrong question. 1 John 5 says that the love of God is that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You're absolutely right in saying that, that God is a better Savior than you are a sinner, and that his forgiveness is immeasurable. But why in the world would you want to continue doing things that separated you from him in the beginning? If you love God, following his commandments is not a burden, but rather it's the most life-giving and fulfilling way to live. See the beauty of the gospel and respond in faith. The gospel is worth dying for, and it's also worth living for. And then for those of you who are like me, have this like terrible drift towards uh, borderline legalism, just, I'd encourage you to let go. Let go of the chains. There is nothing that you can do for God to love you any more or any less than he does right now. Jesus fulfilled the law so you can freely pursue godliness to show dependence on God without the shame, the guilt. There's no obligation. There's no, thing, there's no such thing as a better or a worse Christian. You don't need to fix yourself up. You don't need to hide things from the people around you. You don't need to hide things from God until you make it right. Lay your burdens at the foot of the cross. Look to Jesus and be free. I saw a company, I think that the most compelling vision for us to live this out actually comes from the sermon this past Sunday, if you were here. Uh, we, We heard this promise in James of draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Jake alluded to that. He said that, uh, he expressed, our actions are, are no longer a matter of right or wrong, but a matter of drawing near or drifting away from our Heavenly Father. If you let your love of God bleed into your everyday life, you will start to feel the freedom of the gospel. Draw near to God by obeying his commandments and love, surrounding yourself with his people, and sharing the good news of Jesus with those around you. This, this freedom, this gospel, this perfection to be found in Christ, in Christ alone, this is the freedom that people are looking for. People need Jesus. Your classmates, your teammates, your families, your significant others, your teachers, without being found in Christ, they are still held captive under the law and accountable to God. The only freedom for them And the only freedom for us is in Jesus Christ, the man who became sin without sinning so that we might become the righteousness of God. Live as free people and share that freedom with others. Let's pray. God, you are good. Uh, Your way is so much better than our own way. Uh, We just thank you for the gift that the law really is. 
that you made us aware of our sin. You made us aware of how we fall short. You made us aware of how far separated we are from you. But God, you loved us enough to leave us in a state of brokenness and an endless pursuit towards perfection that we could never actually attain. But God, you sent your son, Jesus, who lived a life without sin, the perfect life that we never could. He died a gruesome death on a cross, but rose again on the third day to give us victory, freedom from a law that we could never attain, freedom from the punishment of death, freedom to live in unity with you. And he didn't just stop at forgiving sins. He gave us Jesus' righteousness. God, you gave that to us as a free gift just so that you could commune with us, that you could be with us, that we could be your people. God, help us to respond to this good news that there is nothing that we need to or could do to offer to you, but through faith in Christ alone, the finished work of Jesus, that we are freed from the law of sin and death and can walk in a newness of life. God, you are worth dying for and you are worth living for. Send us as your people. Send us as a free people to bring the good news of Jesus to the people around us. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.